Hello and welcome to Madison Church Online with Exchange. My name is Stephen, I'm the lead pastor of Madison Church, and I'm speaking to you today on Saturday because the messages we recorded on Thursday didn't work. And so, um, you know, this is like the third time I've gotten to do this, so hopefully it's the best time and that I'm not wearing down here, okay? Um, Today we're starting a new series, which I am really excited about, and you don't have to be a Marvel or DC Comics super fan to be into superheroes. I think that people just like superheroes no matter who you are. I imagine that most of you, when you were little, wanted to grow up to be a superhero. How many Halloweens came around every year where you wanted to be Batman or Spider-Man? I know for me, I went as Batman like three or four times. But have you ever noticed, and I'm bringing this up because have you ever noticed how superheroes don't start out super? Superheroes don't start out super. They might be heroes, but there's a backstory. And this backstory has become really popular in modern media. We call them origin stories. We love our heroes so much that we want to know what was their life like growing up? How did they get to be the heroes that we love today? And in almost every origin story, we notice that there are very prominent and important supporting characters. I mean, think of Bruce Wayne's butler and guardian, Alfred. Where would Batman be without Alfred? Think of Peter Parker, Spider-Man's uncle, Ben. Where would Peter Parker and Spider-Man be without Uncle Ben? And on and on it goes. Just whoever your favorite superhero is, I'm sure you can think of a person who was next to him growing up, him or her growing up, that made them who they are today. Now, I realize, okay, look, today, not many of you probably consider yourself a superhero, but I bet that we would all admit that who we are today is the result of people who had poured their lives into us. People had taken the time to teach us love on us and spend time with us. Um, there are so many people who did that in my life, um, and my, you know, parents and teachers and different pastors. The one I want to tell you about today is Don Rufnock. Don was my youth pastor when I was in high school. Uh, some of you are familiar with the story. The reason that I actually started coming to church um, wasn't because of a spiritual awakening that I had, but rather that there was a girl I really liked. And uh, this girl's parents wouldn't let us see each other unless I went to church, and youth group counted. So I began going to youth group to spend time with her, and the youth pastor began spending time with me at youth group, and it really changed the trajectory of my life. Um, Don invited me to a youth conference, and it was the youth conference that I gave my life to Christ. It's where I did have that spiritual awakening. That whole weekend, Don and I talked about what it really meant to find and follow Jesus. Don asked me when we got back from this trip to be the leader of our youth group's band. This was the first time I'd ever been in church leadership. Um, We went on a service trip to Juarez, Mexico. Uh, The whole youth group did, and uh, it was a tough trip. I tell you what, we had to sleep in the side of a mountain um, because that's just where we were kept, and uh, we slept on bunks that were made of two-by-fours and plywood, very uncomfortable. There was no running water. There was no working electricity, and I kid you not, you could hear the giant cockroaches crawling all night back and forth. It was a terribly uncomfortable um, trip, and uh, on a senior retreat that we got to go on, the seniors in high school, it was there that Don and I had a lot of really great conversations, but one that still 
is with me today is that he told me that God must have really big plans for my life, as evident by the way that God pursued me when I wasn't pursuing God. And that has um, just stuck with me because of Don's investment on in my life. Um, we're at a church now that wasn't here six years ago. I mean, yeah, I think that if, if you're new to Madison Church, we started our church six years ago, um, but I wouldn't have started the church without Don's investment in my life. So in a way that through me, Don has changed a lot of other lives too because of the work that we're doing. The conference that I gave my life to Christ at constantly reminds me just how important it is to help people find and follow Jesus. The things I learned when I led that youth band are still some things that I use today when I lead our church specifically about biblical conflict resolution. That trip to Juarez, Mexico showed me that giving back was imperative to our faith. It wasn't optional, even when it makes us uncomfortable and the cockroaches are huge. And the retreat taught me the importance of speaking into other people's lives. Now, these things happened over the course of years. What I just explained to you in two or three minutes happened over the course of years. Just like there are thousands of feet between each milestone marker, so goes our faith journey. I can tell you about the milestones, the conference, the trips today, but my life will tell you about the walk between each milestone. And it's a walk that I couldn't have taken without my youth pastor, Don. Don wasn't interested in being the hero in his own story, but rather he was interested in being a hero maker in mine, and I'm forever grateful. And I'm wondering about you. What about you? Who are the people who helped you become who you are today? Go ahead, and if you're in the chat room, share that with us. Let us know their name and who they are to you, and maybe a memory. Jesus uh, had a very clear mission when he came to earth. He knew his purpose. He knew why he was here. His mission was to reconnect people who had been disconnected from God. As we say at Madison Church, we exist to connect people with God and each other. We believe that that was ultimately Jesus's mission as well. What's interesting about Jesus, though, isn't just what he came to do. What he came to do is profound and immensely important. And we spend most of the year talking about what Jesus did, but this series, we want to talk about how Jesus did what he did. Honestly, Jesus could have accomplished the mission by himself. He didn't need me. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He didn't need anybody. But what's remarkable is that because God is relational is that he has invited you and he has invited me. He's invited all of us to come and join him on his mission to participate. Mark is one of the writers of the four biographies that we call the Gospels in the New Testament, and he kind of paints the picture of the interactions Jesus has with his very first followers. Reading from Mark chapter 1, we, we see that one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called to them at once, and they followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the higher men. 
Well, in these first few accounts, we see that Jesus goes and he calls his disciples. Then the word disciple roughly translates to what we in English would call an apprentice, somebody who is learning and studying under someone. And there are a few things in this story, Mark, I just want to point out. And the first is that Jesus took the initiative. When it came to picking his disciples, Jesus took the initiative. He's not being passive when it comes to being a hero maker, when it comes to tapping other people on the shoulder and raising them up to hero status. Jesus goes out of his way and he picked the people that he would invest his life into. And his invitation was way more than an invitation to church on Sunday. He wasn't saying, hey, you guys want to come to the temple with me on on Saturday and we're going to be there for a couple hours and read and sing. It was really an invitation, but it was a challenge, which was, hey, are you willing to quit your day jobs, leave your families and follow me? And what's remarkable is that they said, yes. I wonder in our lives, in my life and in yours, do we take the initiative in the relationships around us? Or are we always waiting on someone else? We wait for someone else to text us, to Facebook us, to look us up, to make the plans. Or do we take the initiative in our relationships? Like Jesus takes the initiative in ours. The second thing I want to point out is that Jesus called regular people. This is such a great part of the story. These guys were ordinary. And yeah, you probably recognize the names James and John and Peter now because we talk about them every single Sunday in church or just about every single Sunday. But don't forget that 2,000 years ago, hundreds of years before the New Testament was compiled, before Jesus's death and resurrection, these guys were just everyday people. They were just fishermen. And this is remarkable because most rabbis, which Jesus was, most rabbis would try to choose people who were super elite and really educated to be their apprentices. Whereas Jesus chose people who were just ready to go, enthusiastic about learning and eager to grow. Do we see people the way that Jesus sees them? Do we see people the way that Jesus saw us? Or are we more like the Pharisees and the rabbis of that day looking for people who um, are elite or popular or have influence? Those are questions that we, I think, need to be able to answer. And we have to be aware that from the beginning of Jesus' ministry that Jesus thought like a hero maker. Again, he could have done it by himself, but he didn't. He wanted to be a hero maker. He had no intention of being the only hero in his story. Let's keep reading in Mark right after he calls these disciples. It says that afterward, Jesus went up to a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them apostles. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. So after Jesus goes out of his way, takes the initiative, calls everyday regular people, he spends the rest of his time on earth developing them and equipping them to carry on his mission long after his death, resurrection, and ascension. Well, why would Jesus do that? Why would he, you know, go about it this way? Well, I love how C.S. Lewis, who's an author and theologian, put it. He observes that God seems to do nothing of himself, which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. Creation seems to be delegation through and through. I suppose this is because God is a giver. I love how C.S. Lewis observes that God usually, at least where we're aware of, 
God doesn't usually do things alone when he can collaborate. When the opportunity is there to work with you and me, God chooses that route. And being created in the image of God, as we read in Genesis, means that you and I are better together too, and we should work together and collaborate. Now, while there's many rewarding kind of stories, memories of us working with groups, I'm sure that most of you have a traumatic memory going back to middle school of a group project in which one of you did all the work, one of you presented the work, and the only... The other one's contribution was putting their name on the project, okay? You guys remember that? Um, I was the one presenting the work, in case you were curious. I, I didn't always um, slack off. But those kind of experiences, whether in school or in work, are enough to make us say, I never, ever want to work with people again, right? Okay, that's fair. But look, if anyone could have objected to working with other people and in group projects, it would have been Jesus. Two of the guys in Jesus' groups... Um, they argued about who could get preferred seating in heaven. Hey, when we all die, who gets to sit on your right side? Who gets to sit on your left side? And they're having this fight. They bring their mom into the debate. Um, before Jesus is killed, at probably his most vulnerable moment here on earth, Peter um, denies Jesus three times. And we can't forget about Judas, who literally sold Jesus out, took money so that they could kill Jesus. Again, if anyone could object to ever working with groups again, it would be Jesus. However, he didn't and he doesn't. Jesus gave us an example to live by today. And as we follow after Jesus, we are also supposed to be hero makers. Um, at the end of his life here on earth, he's, he's died, he's resurrected. And before his ascension, he comes to his disciples and he gives them one last command. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're following along in a Bible, that's called the Great Commission. You'll see the heading at the front of the paragraph. And it's when Jesus is commissioning his first followers and us now to live on a mission. And that mission is to make other disciples. Now, a commission is kind of a churchy word. I don't know how often we use the word commission outside. So what does that mean? Well, to commission someone is to give them a responsibility, to charge them with a task. And Jesus' task, his charge to us the commission isn't to be the hero. It isn't to go and save people, but rather it's to go and make disciples and to teach them about Jesus so that they can in turn do the same thing. We are all supposed to be hero makers. Jesus's mission is much, much bigger than what any person, no matter even if the most talented person in the world, Jesus's mission is more important and bigger than what any one person could do on their own. We have to do this together. We are only going to accomplish the mission of God together and if we take the role of a hero maker. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to look at five different practices. Remember, we're going to talk about the how. Um, how did Jesus do what he did? Um, and we're going to find five powerful practices throughout his life and ministry. And we're going to discover how you and I can be hero makers in our families, with our friends, coworkers, and neighbors. The challenge for you today is pretty simple. I just want you to begin to think like a hero maker. Um, it sounds simple, but it actually really is difficult. We need to stop thinking about ourselves as the hero in our story or the hero in other people's story and to begin to see ourselves as the hero maker. Who are we helping to get 
to go further, to go further and faster. We have to be humble, and that takes some effort. Um, Paul writes in a letter to the Philippians, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude Christ Jesus had. And then Paul goes on to explain that attitude that Jesus had. Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Uh, Paul is saying, look, if anyone had the right to be the hero of the story, if anyone could have had the big head and, and really owned it and, and would have been rightful in owning it, it would have been Jesus. Jesus who was God, Jesus who is God, Jesus who had the throne in heaven. And he says, but Jesus left it all and he died a common death out of humility. Are we willing to be humble? Are we willing to think we before me, as we say in our leadership circles at Madison Church, we before we, are, we before me, are we willing to put the team's needs ahead of our own? This is a challenge, that is to be sure. Um, right now, or during the prayer part of our service, or later today, I, w- I really want to challenge you to not just to begin to think like a hero maker, but to pray and to ask God, God, who have you put in my life that I really need to begin to pour my life out to and to invest in other people? Because my life was forever changed because of what Don did. And there are people all around you that you're going to be able to play that role in their lives. One of the things that Don said that has, I still say it to this day, is that people are not projects. You're not looking for someone to fix. You're not looking for broken people. You're just looking for people that God has called you to be around, to love, to show compassion, to share, to be with, to point to Christ. And as Jesus says, to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them what he has taught us to do. I absolutely positively believe that God has called each and every single one of us here, wherever you are, at this particular time for a specific purpose. For many of us, that is in Madison, Wisconsin. Madison is one of the most post-Christian cities in the United States, and it's, it's just getting worse year after year after year. And I believe if we're going to change the spiritual dynamics of the city, it's going to take a church of hero makers. It's going to take a church of hero makers who are so convicted about Jesus's mission that we're willing to not be the heroes in our stories, but to be hero makers in other stories. And that it will be the only way, I'm telling you, it will be the only way we change the spiritual dynamic in Madison. But I believe in us. I believe in the God we serve and I believe it can happen. And if you're watching with us or listening right now, God is prompting you to join us. I hope that you're beginning to think like a hero maker, someone who puts other people ahead of yourself so that long after you're gone, So long after I'm gone, long after we're all gone, Jesus' story and his legacy can carry on, not just with the things that we said, but the way that we lived our lives and how we poured it out into other people. Let's pray these words together. Lord, transform my mind. Help me to think like you and to realize that I'm not called to be a hero, but a hero maker. Amen.